Today's episode of Talking with TK is presented by The Cabinet House. For affordable excellence in kitchens, bathrooms and wardrobes, head over to www.thecabinethouse.com.au. Welcome back to Talking with TK. I'm your host, Tristan Cannell. We're up to episode 65 of the podcast, and our special guest today is Dean Mum. Dean is an absolutely fantastic rugby union player. He's just recently retired. His record speaks for itself. He played over 100 times in Super Rugby for the New South Wales Waratahs. He played three seasons in the UK for Exeter, and he's also capped 56 times for the Wallabies. Away from sports, he made, he's made a pretty awesome transition into the corporate world. He works in the insurance world, as well as being the Rugby Union Players Association president. So he is quite, he's quite busy after, with life after footy, so it's great to see. He did set himself up for that prior, so he's one of the smart guys that actually did do a little bit of work experience. He's got a great educational background as well. So it is great to see Dean, Dean continue to kick goals after footy. Today's episode, we're going to be talking plenty of footy, but we're going to be opening because Dean and his family has their personal story of heartbreak, tragedy, and joy is, is just a unique one. He, he and his wife have lost two children to premature birth while his, his third son, son, Alfie, is fit and healthy. So it is a fantastic story in terms of perseverance and, you know, battling adversity, and uh, it, they're quite a special family. What Dean's doing in April, he'll be going through the enormous challenge of walking the North Pole. So he's looking to raise funds for both research and awareness to prevent, you know, preterm birth. Re- the research that he showed me was that Something like 15 million babies are born premature each year, and unfortunately only 1.1 million survive. So I'll have all the details in the show notes in how you can support Dean and his cause, but he set up a Just Giving page, which is www.justgiving.com slash fundraising slash Dean dash mum. And I'll have all this in the show notes as well. So if you can't find anything and you want to support the cause, please just get in touch with me. Send me an email at Tristan at TalkingWithTK.com. I'll definitely point you in the right direction. So we'll be checking out Dean's personal story. Like I said, we'll be playing, we'll be talking plenty of rugby. When you have a look at uh, his family background, he was kind of destined to always do something in rugby. His grandfather played for the All Blacks. His, his father was actually on the ARB board. So it's quite a, it's quite a remarkable kind of family. His brother as well was a high-level coach for Fiji after being injured playing as well. So the family's quite, quite incredible. He'll be talking a little bit about life as a Wallaby, a Waratah, and also playing in the UK. He's quite the leader. He was always kind of the captain going all the way through the ranks. So I'll be talking about that and also you know, the joy of actually captaining his, his, the Wallabies, which, which happened at the 2015 World Cup. So we'll be just having a look through his whole career. I think in terms of stories, Dean's got a great one when you think that he actually left thinking that he would never play for the Wallabies again after missing the 2011 World Cup. But then, you know, he resurrected his career and 
he got himself right in there in the 2015 World Cup and actually played a lot of minutes in that uh, final against the All Blacks. So quite a lot of stories, so stay tuned. If it's your first time here, easiest way is to subscribe to the show. It's all free. You can catch it on iTunes, Overcast, Stitcher, or if you've got an Android, probably the easiest way for you to access it is online, www.talkingwithtk.com. I've got show notes, episode guides, and also just an easy player that you can play straight from your phone. So please check that out. If you want to connect with me online or on social media, please find me on Talking With TK on Twitter and Facebook. Tristan Nell is my handle on Instagram, or the probably the easiest way is just shoot me an email, Tristan at TalkingWithTK.com. Just a quick apology, we did record in a cafe, so there is a little bit of background noise. I'm sure you can bear with it. You can, you can clearly hear me and Dean speaking the entire way through, but I just wanted to give you a little warning anyway. But like I said, it's not too bad, so please bear with it. The stories are fantastic, and I think you're going to get a lot out of this episode. All right, guys, my special guest is Dean Mum. Dean is a former professional rugby union player who had an extensive career and played over 100 appearances for the New South Wales Waratahs, three years over in the UK for Exeter, and 56 appearances for the Australian Wallabies. Dean has made a successful transition into the corporate world, and he's also the Rugby Union Players Association president. Welcome, Dean Munn. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Welcome to the show, man. I'm really stoked to get you on because I love someone with a story that's not just about footy. So I know that coming up, April is going to be very important to you. You're hitting the North Pole. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, so uh, yeah, April this year, uh, leaving out of London, going to the North Pole for a, um, for a British charity called Born. Um, and they rang me about 18 months ago yeah. and said, would you be interested? And uh, wasn't, certainly wasn't immediate, yeah. So I was sort of, it's just so far removed from what you're thinking, but... Um, it's a charity that we've done a little bit of work for before and uh, you know, really, really keen now that I've finished footy to, to try and give more back to them. And this presents a great opportunity to, to raise some awareness and more importantly, some cash for, for them. Yeah, you speak about awareness. Obviously, this is a personal thing for both yourself and your wife. Yep. Can we just touch a little bit about the story and what all this actually means to you? Yeah, sure. So it all happened uh, while we were in the UK, really. Um, well, I left here in 2012 to go to Exeter, and my wife was pregnant before we left. And uh, first pregnancy, so you're pretty excited, I think, yeah, it's going sure. well. Um, it seems probably, looking back now, we're pretty naive. Um, yeah, naivety's great. Yeah, <laughs> there's, sure. there's safety in there. Um, but oh, about, about a month after we got over there, we... My wife lost our daughter Sophie at 21 weeks um, to, to just complications relating to, to prematurity. And at 21 weeks, a baby has no abilities to survive. But yet, you know, when you see her, she's a beautifully formed, perfectly normal little child. But she just has, doesn't have the ability to leave her, her lungs are developed and kidneys and heart and all that elements sort of have not developed. Um, which was, which was pretty rough, um, away from home, a new environment, no family support for, for... For me, I had the rugby team, which is always helpful. Yeah. But for my wife, it was, it was particularly hard. Uh, and then two years later, uh, we second, uh, second child, second pregnancy, with a greater awareness of what was going on, and we, we took a lot of steps to prevent 
uh, from the first, uh, and then my son Henry was born at 28 weeks from a, and as a result of completely different issues, something yeah. again unforeseen. Um, but unfortunately, he got an infection in the first sort of 24 hours of his life, and then he died nine days later. So, yeah, pretty, um, pretty horrific. Oh, absolutely. Uh, first, uh, first entry into, into parenthood to have. Um, have two children and, and to never know either one of them uh, was was pretty hard. Um, and yeah, the support for, for people that I we got throughout the time, people from Exeter, it was pretty amazing. I always remember, and we fondly remember that at Exeter, we we had a funeral for Henry, and we had uh, every single member of the of the Chiefs came, including the academy players, board members, whatever. It was pretty pretty special. And pretty, yeah, and pretty indicative of, of the, the culture of that club as well. Um, but then uh, we, we got in touch as a result of, of that um, through Will Greenwood, who used to play for the Lions in England. Uh, he, he put out an article, similar to the way I'm probably talking about it now, but Will put out an article. He lost a child uh, to prematurity as well, and I got in contact with Will. Within a couple of hours, I had an appointment with an uh, obstetrician in London called um, Professor Johnson, Professor Mark Johnson, and uh, and then Mark uh, was over the next little while delivered our son Alfie during the middle of the World Cup. So it was a really um, terrific story, and, and after what we'd been through, we really feel like we owe Mark, yeah, more than more than gratitude and love. It's uh, he's got this um, research charity into stopping prematurity stuff that we don't want anyone else to go through um, but anything we can do to raise money for that to go forward and yeah. uh, we will yeah Dean after two you know miscarriages like that what advice would you have for anyone listening out there that might be going through this at the moment especially because you actually did try for the third time and that would have taken some incredible steps from both of you to yeah. actually want to actually pursue that, that further oh yeah firstly I think um I think everyone has shit in their life. Yeah. Like, um, no one escapes free without having some pretty rough times in their life, and it just comes in different forms. For us, at the moment, this is ours, you know. Um, but you either, if you keep looking backwards, you're going to trip over something in front of you. Um, so you got to keep going. It's, I mean, it's not easy, but you just got to get up, and you got to get through one day, and then you attack the next one I suppose yeah um, and yeah and it's it's not easy um, and it's certainly really really tough for both of us but I think sometimes these things uh, collectively as a couple either pull you apart or bring you together and I think for us luckily in our sense it brought us together and uh, we keep going yeah we keep going forward and maybe it, it, it might not be so easy for us to have more children, whatever, we'll, we'll keep going, we'll find that out um, and deal with it as we can. Yeah. You mentioned Alfie and being him being born in the World Cup. Yeah. You played every game in the World Cup. How did you actually get across, where were you and where was the hospital? Yeah, so we were in Bath. We, we just played um, just played our first game against Fiji in, in Cardiff. And so we weren't staying too far away in Bath. And we are back at Bath and we are in the lead up to our second game, the um, Uruguay. Um, and Czech had actually just announced me as captain that week, yeah. first time ever. So it was pretty, pretty special honour. 
But then I knew Sarah was away and I knew that she was in London, which is about an hour and a half away. And I knew that she was, yeah, we were doing all right, but any time it could come. Then she rang me at about three in the morning, as it always seems to be these things. <laughs> and, uh, and she said, oh, we're on. I, like, my water broke about three hours ago. Uh, and I, got, I flipped out in a panic and uh, my roommate was Kane Douglas at that time. Okay. And uh, and I sort of was rushing into the room, going, what do I do? And yeah, yeah. How am I going to get there? She's like, she was very calm. She's like, the train doesn't leave till six. You should be able to get there. And I said, well, yeah, like, can you hang on till then? She's like, oh, yeah, should be able to. Anyway, I was I was running around the room, as I said, rummaging away and in the dark. And Kane just stops and goes, listen, mate, you're having a baby. Just turn, the, <laughs> turn the light on. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, okay, sorry, mate. Anyway, I ran down to the night manager of the thing and I said, mate, I've got to get to London. Um, how are we going to do it? Anyway, I managed to get hold of Pat Mulhan, the, the Wallabies manager, and, and Pat drove me down. And we had a terrific run, actually, very fortunately. And I walked into the um, Chelsea and Westminster Hospital there and, uh, and this greeted by this midwife. She's like, you're here. <laughs> I was like, I have no idea who you are. <laughs> and... Uh, and she's like, oh, no, great. We, we're really pleased you're here. And she, I didn't even have time to put my in that bag. I just slipped into a sweet pair of Crocs, put on a hairnet and, and jumped in. And, and then Alfie was arrived about half an hour later. So yeah. it was um, it was pretty cool. And then went back and, and played that weekend. So it was, yeah, it was a pretty, good, pretty fun week. That must have been one of the best weeks of your life. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it'll take a bit to top, I'd say. Yeah, for sure. All right, Dean, take me back to the origins. Because... From doing a bit of research about you, it seemed that you were kind of always destined to do something in rugby. Tell me about your family back then and exactly how you got into rugby. Yeah, so, yeah, we're, we're, we're rugby through and through. Um, parent, my, both my parents are from um, the west coast of New Zealand, uh, from a place called Westport, which is a town of about 3,000 people, so not, not a lot goes on there. Um, but it's a beautiful spot. Um, Anyway, my grandfather's an all-black um, in 49, played one test yep. and, then, and broke his leg as a prop. Was he? Yeah, lightweight prop. Uh, and then, yeah, and then, as, as far as, and then my dad was, was pretty handy, but gave up rugby to go, um, concentrate on work and taking care of us, um, which is a pretty honourable thing to do. Oh, of course. Um, and then for me, just growing up, yeah, I grew up in, in Sydney. Uh, I was born in New Zealand, but grew, came across very early. Grew up in Sydney, and uh, yeah, rugby was just like, you know, I played two years under six. So I don't think Dad could get me in there quick enough, to be honest. <laughs> yeah. And uh, and then worked my way through, and yeah, I was fortunate enough to have a, a really great mates, people that played with under six and, and through club footy. Yeah, I think I look back at, our, at my under 10s team, and it was at Beecroft and there was four Wallabies in it. Really? Who was that? So Cameron Shepherd, Ben Robinson, Ben Alexander and wow. me. So... Did you lose the game? Yeah, no, we didn't. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, like, it was just... You're just lucky. Lucky to have that crew. And same people I played in randomly come together with under sixes, the same people you go on and um, and play sort of first 15 at school. So it was... A, and they were all just good footy players. So it was really fortunate, really lucky and that I managed to yeah, I sort of played, fortunately, for the, um, most of the national teams on the way through and just get on the path, I suppose. Yeah. Zane, where's the height come from? Because 
I saw in your profile you're six foot five. I think you might be like six foot seven. You're extremely <laughs> tall, man. Like, yeah, what sort of family is that come from? Uh, I don't really know. Not, and my mum's very short, probably dad's side, but yeah. I obviously um, I was in a good pot plant, I'd say. That's all your brother? Because he used to play rugby and then he got injured, right? Yeah, so my brother played. Um, yeah, my brother played and got injured. He went on to coach. and yeah. um, Fiji? Yeah, he coached Fiji at yeah. two World Cups. He was forward, uh, forwards coach for them, um, including the 2007 where Fiji went really well, um, made the quarters. Uh, and then, yeah, he coached in uni in Norse and a couple other places as well. Um, and then Dad was on the board of the RU, so we're pretty um, pretty ingrained in, in rugby here in Australia at the moment. How did the Kiwi get on the board of the ARU? Sort of, uh, <laughs> it wasn't it wasn't sort of conspiracy or anything going yeah, on. Yeah. yeah, no, he was just roughly roughly involved and uh, in and around and, and knew a lot of people and, and, and got himself there. And, does anyone still have your grandpa's gesture? Yeah, my my aunties have got that, and uh, I've got his pocket. So he used to get the, the blazer and he used to get given yeah. a pocket. Um, an awesome tradition. I was sort of a little bit sad we didn't ever do that in my time. I think it would have been terrific. Yeah, um, you know, obviously you get your caps, but he got, he got sort of posthumously his cap granted in Christchurch. And it happened to be that we were playing. I was playing a test the, the day the day after, so it was a it was a special night to be there when he got his his cap presented, and then to see Dad and my aunties and, and how that how that was for them. Yeah, you've talked about the under tens before. What position did you play in the under tens? I was uh, yeah, I was I was a back, I was back rower, mm. um, number eight. Did they still play fifteen a side back in those ages? Yeah, they did. Yeah, it was the first. Yeah, it was the first year, I think. Or maybe, or maybe, or maybe you didn't get flankers to twelves or something. Yeah, okay. um, so yeah, I was number eight, and then I was always a pretty skinny little bean. So <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't wasn't long before I was going to go in the second round. Yeah, and then you end up going to Kings. Did the other boys also? Go yeah, to yeah, pretty much. So um, just terrorising the neighbourhood. Oh, Cameron Shepherd and, and Benny Alexander went to um, Barker and Knox respectively, but okay. we had. Um, we had a really, really good school team as well, um, and we, we managed to do all right. Yeah, you know, we had like, um, yes, it was lucky. So for Benny Robbo, such and we, yeah, he retired last year. I retired. You retired two years ago now, yeah. as of 2016. I was 2017. We'd played together since we were eight, so it was, a, it was a great, a great journey to go all that way with him. Yeah, for sure. Now you've kind of been thrust into leadership positions all through your career, and it started. Very, very. When you were young, you were at school. You were captain of the school team and the schoolboys. Yep, right? that's right. What do you think that coaches saw, and especially to trust you with the actual captaincy of the team? That, that's quite an honour. What do you think was the traits that you were showing them? Yeah, I don't know. I, I mean, I, personally, I, I don't know what. I mean, you'd have to ask them, I suppose. But what I think I could always communicate to the team reasonably well. I think it's a really important trait of any leader is the ability to be able to communicate your thoughts, um, a basic understanding of the game yeah. strategically. Um, probably thanks to a lot of chats in the car with Dad pointing out <laughs> how to read the game. But I mean, they're, they're two elements I think um, that, that were probably pretty pretty important at that stage. But as you get as you get older and, and you're involved in different leadership positions, it becomes more of a uh, 
a cultural side of things yeah. as well. Um, I also think through all that time, you've got to be a you've got to be a reasonable trainer, um, and for, for for you to earn respect on the training field means that it naturally will come during a game. Uh, so they're probably the important things. But as I'm saying, as you get older, that it goes from just being good in a moment in a team. When you're if you're young, you can be a captain and be good, and you can be good in the game, and that's yeah. all you really need. But once you're older, it's a it's a it's a different beast, and, and you, the way you can instill and impart your ways on a culture of a team, and, and have that constant discipline to be the best trainer—that's um, that's what makes it hard, and um, that's what separates the good leaders from others. Guys, just a quick break in today's episode. I just want to give you a quick recap of our last chat, and that was with absolute Aussie legend Steve Monaghetti. If you haven't yet, you want to check out Steve's chat. Plenty of awesome insights into his career. He's just a great speaker. So here is a quick preview of our chat with Steve. Well, I was surprised, to be honest. And what happened was, it was it's funny how, you know, I, I never, it's, it must seem strange, I never really thought of it like this, but I, I never really controlled my destiny. I mean, there's a great example of my coach sort of suggesting I should run the marathon. I never really thought about it. And then uh, I then, on the back of my bronze medal at the Commonwealth Games, Athletics Australia pre-selected me to go to the World Championships the next year. I went to Rome and I finished fourth in the world. So my second marathon, I finished fourth in the world. And that got me pre-selected to go to the Olympics. So it was only my third marathon. And I was in 88, I was off to the Seoul Olympics. So it was almost like other people were making the choices. If you had to said to me, your first marathon is going to be Com Games and then you're going to run so well there, you're going to be off to the Worlds next year and that's going to set you up for the Olympics, I'm, I'm begun. Tristan, you need to see a doctor. You're crazy. That's not going to happen. <laughs> so please get go back and check out the episode with Monas. There's plenty of Aussie legends and champions of the past and future that have made their way onto Talking With TK. So please check out all the episodes. Let me know what you think at Tristan at TalkingWithTK.com or please connect with me at Talking With TK on Twitter and Facebook. If it's your first time here, please subscribe via iTunes, Overcast or Stitcher or you can find it all online at www.TalkingWithTK.com and just remember, it's all free. So please tell your family and friends. Now back to the show. Then your playing style. Before we get into the playing style, actually, I wanted to ask you: Did you always wear a headgear? Was that something that maybe your mum made you wear? Or? <laughs> well, yeah, it was a little bit. Um, I, yeah, I wore them from really very early on. We used to, like, we used to import the Canterbury headgears into Australia before they kind of were here. We yeah. just had this contact. But yeah, no, I, I had one on since since I was ten. Yeah, and uh, it's just in the end of the day. I mean, it saved me. My ears aren't too bad. There's a little bit of cauliflower, but they're certainly better than others. There's no croissants on my ears. Um, Did it ever become like your safety blanket that you needed to have it, or yeah. you freak out if it wasn't around? No, or? it's a bit like that. Yeah, it's almost um, yeah. There, there's a safe sinus to us. I mean, obviously, you learn to train without it, so it means yeah. that you don't need it because if you can train without it, you're fine. You know, um, but it certainly. Um, it certainly was something you'd sort of welcome in the game. It was you knew you were on when you had to put your headgear on for a long period of time. So um, a trigger either way, or a little bit of a safety blanket. But it's that it was just it is, it is what it is. Yeah, for sure. Now back to style. You know, we all had kind of influences and idols when we were growing up. Who did you kind of base yourself on, or maybe look to for inspiration? In the game? No, I was, I was never that really. I never really wanted to. I never based myself on anyone. I yeah. had definitely had idols. Um, I loved Michael Jones when I was young. Um, just a, Michael Jones, Josh Cronfeld, those two guys were just sort of 
everywhere, you yeah, know, sure. and um, and hard. I certainly wasn't. I wouldn't think myself as hard, but <laughs> I admired those players. Yeah. Um, and then from an Australian point of view, when I was growing up, so I, Timmy Horan and oh, yeah. and then Johnny Hills, obviously for, for just who he was and what he what he did. And I don't know Cronfeld or Michael Jones, but you, know, you don't hear too many bad words about them. But certainly Horan and, and particularly Eels. Now that I've met them, yeah, it's it's nice to have. Um, Nice to meet an idol that still lives up to the reputation that you know, because yeah. there's plenty out there that, that don't. Don't for sure. And so for those, for the quality of men that they are, that becomes that becomes almost they continue to be idols for you because of what they can be and the way they conduct themselves um, away from rugby. I think that's um, that's really really important and, and probably a greater indication of the quality of the man. Yeah, for sure. Dean, what age were you when you decided that you could really have a red-hot crack at being a professional rugby player? Again, I, I never really, despite sort of getting on that pathway, as I said before, I never really thought too strongly about being a professional footy player. Um, I was a pretty rubbish student outside of, <laughs> yeah. outside of school. Um, I failed you know, heaps of uni subjects. It took me... Uh, you got two degrees, right? Yeah, I got two degrees, but it took me um, took me twelve years to get them done. Yeah, so it's like as I said, perseverance. Yeah, yeah perseverance <laughs> gets you there. And yeah, in the end, I I, I learned to be uh, become a much better student. But at the start, I was rubbish, and and rugby was was just something I, I enjoyed and I was happy to work at, and and therefore sort of opportunities came. I probably didn't really. Until I was sort of made Aussie 21s, I didn't think it was possible to become a, a yeah. full-time player, I don't think. Aussie, Aussie 20s now are the equivalent of that. Um, What's the pathways back then? Is there like a New South Wales 19s? Is yeah, there was a New South Wales 19s then. Um, the, the, the year we, it used to be an Aussie 19s, so the year or so before I came. So I used to play dual Junior World Cup, so the yeah. 19s and a 21s, but this is too costly, so they squeezed it into one. Um, and so I went from New South Wales 19s into the Waratahs Academy, and then into the 21s. So yeah. I was never too far away from away from it. Um, but I had a couple of injuries first couple of years out that sort of gave me a little bit of balance, I suppose, as well. Gave me some time away. Yeah. Did you ever have to work, or was it kind of just uni and footy? No. My first five-day week job was when I came in came in here at the yeah. end of my career. So yeah. it was very odd walking in for a your first real job, but yeah, like. You, particularly your first transition job, and I'd never, I'd never worked a five-day week. So. You have to do the whole wardrobe shopping and things <laughs> like that. And yeah, what I quickly learned is that the suits you acquire during rugby, which can be a lot, because if you, if you, you've been enough enough teams, you accrue enough gear. Uh, but those suits are just no use for you when you finish because you either shrink or you expand and so <laughs> and how have you gone so far? I've, I've shrunk a little bit. I've returned more to my, uh, my natural skinny state. Uh, but you know, like it takes, and speaking to other guys, and takes that they, they have transitioned, it takes six, seven months for, you, for your body to work out where it should be. So I lost seven kilos, seven, eight kilos when, since I finished. Because how many weight sessions would you have been doing while you were playing? Four or five, or three or four? Yeah, um, three or four. Yeah. So four in four in pre-season weeks, and then. Um, Oh, if you were diligent and not too sore, you could you could put three in in a, yeah. in, a in a playing week. Are you still doing much weight work, or are you kind of just kind of? Oh, a little bit. Away? Understanding that, I think um, 
muscle mass keeps your metabolic rate pretty high. Yeah, of course. It does, and yeah. so I don't like. I still want to be able to eat a reasonable amount of food. Yeah, because <laughs> I love food. Love so food. I don't. Uh, <laughs> yeah, your metabolic rate just it keeps you that ability to do it. And it, yeah, so that's that's really the motivation. In the gym is pretty poor when I get there, to be honest. And I don't. I don't go for long sessions. I go for. 40 minutes. Do you Max find not having out. like your strength and conditioning coach barking orders at you? Is that is that a huge difference to how you perform in the gym? Not really. I think the best the best S and Cs are the ones, particularly when you get a bit older in a program, are the ones that allow you to do what you need okay. to feel like to make you to allow you to feel the best for the game. And so, the last couple of years, you, it's more the it's more the program you miss the, this this stringent and. Um, in sort of periodised nature of the program, mm. at the moment I, you're sort of a little bit lost and you wander in. I'm one, you know, you're one of those guys that wanders in the gym. And you go, what do I do today? And you spend five minutes worrying about that. You could have been five minutes working. So, yeah, exactly right. Um, it's something. There's room to improvement on that. But I just sort of, particularly with this North Pole track, it's a little bit like um, keeping my legs in shape, keeping the core right. And sure. That's enough for me. Yeah. So you take me back to your debut for New South Wales. I know you toured Argentina. I think that was a pre-season tour, but your actual Super Rugby debut, from what I've read, was actually in Joburg. That's right. Yep. Tell me a little bit about the debut. So yeah, we played um, played the Lions away in Joburg, which is um, and at that stage it was pretty interesting. Um, now I look back, it was interesting because we, we we trialed something under Ewan McKenzie, which was more of a trying to beat jet lag. Okay. So we'd fl- we didn't fly into Joburg till a Thursday morning, and we played on the fl- uh, played on the Saturday. So it was the theory being that jet lag doesn't kick in um, properly until the third day. Okay. So you can sneak in and play. Yeah. And so my first my first experience with Joburg was not much. It was a hotel room, uh, dealing with lack of sleep, and then having to play. Um, Did you get many minutes? I got probably twenty off the bench. Yeah. I think. Um, same night, yeah. Interestingly, the same night as yeah, a good couple of mates um, made their debuts, Benny Hand and Curly Beale. So, oh, well, and those cool. guys, that was their first match as well. So it was first game of the year. It's always a few people debuting, but it's pretty good. I do remember the, uh, I remember the night out afterwards as well. So it was good <laughs> what was it like? Because you said you got 20 minutes, so you're warming the bench for 60 minutes, not knowing when you're going to come on at all. Yeah, were you shooting yourself? Like, go take us through that. Yeah, so I mean, it's interesting as well because. You don't really, you, otherwise you never really played on the bench either because you've always been playing Colts or Grade or whatever where you don't spend any time on the bench. So you don't even learn how to appropriately mentally prepare yourself for the, like, yeah. for me at the back end of my career, I played a lot more on the bench. So you can understand that the first half could be pretty chilled and then you can build yourself into the second and and what you needed. But for me, like, it's just so nervous. It's this nervous energy. So you want to, Spin around everywhere, but then you're at altitude. So by the time you come back to the bench, every <laughs> so time you just, yeah, you're hooped. Uh, and then when you hop on, like it's it's, it's particularly um, yeah, it's particularly like Joburg is just unique in that. Like it's dry and your altitude gets to you really quick, and then you get your second win. But for when your first match and you're running out, I don't actually remember much about playing at all. But I remember being nervous. I remember being tired, and that's about. It. Special thanks to today's sponsor, The Cabinet House. If you're looking to upgrade your bathroom or kitchen, it could be run down, old, or like I said, looking to upgrade, check out the range at The Cabinet House. They are led by a close personal friend, Rodney Hawken, whose range of styles, quality of work, and service is second to none. 
So check out their range online now at www.thecabinethouse.com.au. Was that the first time you'd ever seen Altitude before? Um, well, it's the first time I'd played. Yeah. I'd, I'd, I'd checked with him as when I was a bit younger. Okay. So... Um, I'd been down shooting, I know I didn't go so well at it, but, <laughs> but it was a bit higher than this. How many years did it take for you to feel comfortable in that professional setup and just really stamp your, your spot in the team? Uh, at least 18 months, two years, mm. I think. I think the tail end of my second season at the Tars, um, so it was 2008, I started to feel like you could contribute to the team in a manner you felt was particularly worthy, you know. Yeah. Um, and for a while there, you, you, you might be playing well, but you, don't, you might not give yourself permission to, to say that that's, that's good enough and that you're giving enough to the team yeah. and that your contribution's valid. Um, when it always is, it's, it always has been from day one. You know, the, the irony is that you never really allow yourself to think that because you want to you want to be giving more. I yeah. Suppose. So you've always been a pretty hard marker in terms of analysis of your own performance. Yeah. Not. I was never. I was never a super deep. I never analysed my performance that strongly. Yeah. Um, I wasn't someone that had to breathe rugby. I when I was. Maybe when I was younger, but certainly by the back end of my career, I, I wouldn't watch many other games that were on that weekend, if any. Um, and then I would watch my involvements in the game, and, and that'd be about it. You know, so do I, there's a there's certainly value in, in analysing, but there's there's a, there's a detriment to overanalyzing as well. And I certainly was probably closer to analysing than overanalyzing. I'd say. Yeah, for sure. In 2011, you know, despite having some strong performances, you actually missed the World Cup squad, which was yes. probably a goal of yours at the time. How did you actually manage? the disappointment of not being in the squad and then trying to pick up the pieces to work out what you wanted to do next. Yeah, so it was it was it was obviously sad because I'd been I'd been in the Wallabies for the whole lead up. So from two thousand and eight yeah. through to two thousand eleven I'd been in the squad the whole time and then played the early tests I suppose of my career in that period. So I, I knew the squad, I felt part of that squad. I felt like I could contribute to that squad. Um, yeah, looking back, I just had a shit year. I just would, I wasn't good enough, and I think probably deep down, I kind of knew that, and and maybe that was a bit easy to deal with. Certainly, going away um, to Exeter in, in 2012, um, and looking back, and, and I just was, I was worn out. Yeah. I reckon I was tired. I was really tired, and um, probably wasn't enjoying footy as much as I would have liked. And maybe if I was, maybe I deserved. But I'm, I'm not disheartened now looking back at 2011 knowing because I wasn't good enough to be there and that's that's fine yeah. I'm comfortable with that do you think that was kind of the turning point because your back end of the career was filled with great achievements had that not happened do you think that maybe you wouldn't have been as strong later in your career yeah I think so I think if 2012 was a disappointing year as, as well in Australian point of view so mm-hmm. Tars we had a shit year um, didn't enjoy the um, the coaching set up as much throughout that period um, personally didn't play that well and then I had after Super Rugby season finished I knew I was going to Exeter I'd already signed um, I'd spent, I spent about 8-9 weeks here training with a, um, a Timmy Lay who's a trainer at Sydney Uni yep. and it was, it was the best thing ever done. Yeah, best thing I, I look back and I'm so pleased that I did it because I was, I was sort of deconditioned throughout the season yeah Coming off, not really got, not really a great preseason anyway, and I needed to 
I needed to flick the switch and that that was the catalyst I think for the coming year and then to go over and, and exit the, and the culture that was and, and playing I always say playing professional rugby with an amateur spirit revitalised me and, and that's what allowed me to fly through in the back end of my career. Yeah, that sounds amazing. Can we talk a little bit about that, the, yep. the culture over there? And Is that you lads all hanging out, going for coffees, going for beers? <laughs> is that kind of what instills that team spirit? Yeah, it's, it's more than that. I, it's, um, it's the nature of extra. I mean, the nature of... Similar to the way the Brumbies was early on and the fact that everyone is not... There wasn't a lot. There's more now. There wasn't a lot of local boys in the team. So okay. everyone had come to so a bit of expat sort of team. Yeah, a little bit, yeah. yeah. So everyone was there and everyone had each other as their support network. So yeah, you genuinely formed really great friendships and, and good mates that I continue to have now. Um, there and so did my wife. So you, you form relationships not as an individual but as a collective, you know, yeah, nice. so uh, and that's what makes that pretty special. Who are some of your closest mates in the, the team over there? Um, so I, I really good mates with um, Tom Johnson, who's played for England, Kai Horseman, Matt Jess, those guys. Um, but everyone really, like it was, it was more of a, you're happy to have a beer with everyone, which everyone says that in rugby, that's not the truth. Yeah. <laughs> like seriously, like in every team, people click harder than others, but exit was, it was an environment where you were happy to have it. And just the nature of, of what it was as well, the competition means you don't travel that often. Okay. So when you do travel, it's a little bit more, the boys get pretty excited. And it might be only to France, but in terms of super rugby, that's not much of a trip. Mm. Um, and then when you did, you tra- you spent a lot of time on the bus. So you'd be up to uh, whatever, you get fly- you go as far north as Newcastle, which is a six-hour thing, but then you come home that- after the game. So, so it- you're having yarns with them. Yeah, so you're having yarns, people. and we had this sweet bus where you had like, um, we had little... Um, like refrigeration units underneath your seat, so the beers you know, the beers are just underneath you, and the bus got a couple of TVs and whatever Xbox, and so it's um, it's easy to have a good time, and, and we had some great time on the, on the buses on the way home after have a great win or a great time. loss. You equally um, you deal with it in a similar manner. Yeah, I hope the bus had a toilet on it. Yeah, it did. It did with a, with a significant fine if you if you. So over at Exeter, you know, you seem, you know, what the way you're speaking, you're so happy off the field. Does that naturally just transform onto the field in terms of you improving as a footy player? Yeah, I think so. Um, yeah, it's it's sort of different as well. It's such a long season that you, you might you might afford to have one or two bad games, and it doesn't really matter. You still heaps of time to get yourself sorted and come on back, and yeah. you can have a. Um, you might be able to have a four-week, five-week, six-week injury and it doesn't ruin your season because you've still got... You know, you, when you play from September to April, it's, it's a fair bit of time, mm. you know, and there's 30, 35 games in there. There's plenty of time for you to get opportunities to get yourself back in and get your spot back. So um, it's not as... It's not as wham-bam, thank you, ma'am, as Super Rugby is, you know, and you don't need your best team playing every week necessarily. Yeah. Um, and the key is the rotation of the squad mentality, which keeps your wider squad happy because they're getting game they're time, getting they've got opportunities, yeah. so you don't get a disconnect, which can happen sometimes in, in squads as the season goes on. Yeah, it must have taken something really incredible to get you back to Australia. You know, the Waratahs were actually just coming off a grand final win, so mm. you walk into a team that's literally having to defend the title. How difficult, like, obviously, what first got you back to Australia and then 
Tell us about the difficulties being to walk into a team that had just won the greatest thing in Australia in this sport. So. Oh, you know, firstly, um, I was, I mean, I'm a Waratahs fan. Like, I've always been a Waratahs person. So I was just as, I mean, I wasn't just as pumped. It would have been nicer to be involved. But um, I'm so, so pumped when the boys won. And I was so pumped when the boys were playing well. You know, like, the game would be on at, yeah, eight in the morning or whatever. Before your captain's run, you get up and you watch the, the boys play, yeah. or before you played on the Saturday, and you watch it and you'd be so excited to see them going so well. And the way they were playing and, and so abrasive and, and dominant was was so good to watch. And and these are still my mates, so it was even yeah. better. You know, like you're inherently connected. So that was that was awesome. So I didn't feel like I missed out. Okay. As a Waratah, like looking back at a Waratah's career, that's still one of the best moments I've ever had. I mean, yeah, I wasn't even there. Yeah. So, um, but what led me back? I actually had decided to retire in the UK. Okay. Um, and I'd spoken to the coach and let him know that I was going to hang out in the boots, and uh, I just wanted to go and do something else. My original thought when I went to the UK was to go on and study at Oxford or Cambridge or whatever, and I did a fair bit of research into that, but it just wasn't right. I didn't have the right why. I didn't have the right purpose behind going there, so it was a it was a stopgap rather than okay. a development thing. Um, and then it was coming up to a World Cup year in 2015, and you were facing the thought of hanging out your boots, and then you're a bit like, well, why not? Why not just see if there's something there? And so I just emailed Czech and said, oh, would you be interested uh, in me? Well, would you be interested in me coming back? But what, would you have any... Would you put anything in the way of me coming back? And if I was good enough, I was good. If I wasn't, I wasn't. For me, I knew that Sarah was pregnant with Alfie. If I didn't make the World Cup team, I was coming back to London for his birth anyway. Um, so it was more have a go. Uh, I think I forever have to get forgiveness from my wife after the pregnancies we'd, we'd had and the heartbreak, and then for her to have for me to go away for four months yeah. during the during the last one was a. I'm forever um, grateful for her support on that. But yeah, I went back and things things just worked well. Um, so, you know, sadly, Willie Skelton got um, suspended, so he couldn't go to Africa. It opened up a spot for me to play. Ironically, back in Alice Park for my first game back in Super Rugby, in there, so it was yeah. a nice little tie back in. And then, uh, yeah, I, I just, it was nice. It was really nice coming back with nothing to lose. Did you ever get coached by Michael Checker at any level before that? No, I'd been, I'd sort of crossed past him a little bit. Yeah. Um, I was really close to going to start when he was there, um, but I didn't stay in Australia for a little bit. So we crossed paths. I was always really wanted to work with him and maybe him with me, maybe there was something else in it. But um, end of the day, it didn't, I didn't, there was no guarantees about me, whatever. It was just that. Yeah. All I needed to know was there was nothing in my way if I was good enough, and, and luckily um, things worked out well. But it's it's really nice to go into a section of your life and have nothing to lose or to gain. It's pretty yeah. good. Well, you work your way up into a Wallabies World Cup berth. Like, how fitting after missing out in 2011, but at the same time, at what stage during that season did you think you might even be a chance to actually go into the World Cup? Never. Yeah. Never. I you know, like, I was so excited when I got... I was pumped when I got to play for the Tars again because I didn't think that would happen that season. 
because they were in the run up to semis and you know they had a home semi and things that year and then uh, and then got put into put into camp in Caloundra and then just worked. I was super excited to stay that first week. I was sort of nervous and walking the corridors as checks looking and you just think he's always looking for you to tell you he's not there. Um, Do players get cut like every day? They get cut. That stage was once a week. So we had two weeks up there. So it was like a squad of, might have been a squad of 45, gets cut to four, um, 37 and then 37 to 30 for the first Tri-Nation series. And then a squad gets widened for the pre-World Cup and then it gets nailed for the World Cup. And, you know, and, we, and we were training bloody hard and I don't must have, you know, it was, I was I was generally terrified the whole time and then to get my I, my first test back was in Argentina and Mendoza you know, again where we played the 21 so you know, that was our tournament so it was all this just strange little tie in the whole way through and um but I was so excited every one of those and so so scared every other time and everything was brilliant. And you know, that was maybe that was one of the things that made a difference in the back end is when I went to the UK I was certain that thirty three tests was all I would ever have. And um, when you're away and over there you realise internationally what the Wallabies jersey is all about. Yeah. And what it means and what it is what it is an honour what an honour it is to have, have been in it. So when you get another one, how yeah, good. And when you get one more after that, how yeah, good. Yeah, yeah. and it's, yeah. that's just what it was like. It's sort of, um, and that was fitted with the way that he was developing his culture and, and those sort of elements and um, it was a nice cultural fit. Just a break in, another break in today's episode. I just want to give you a preview of our next episode and that's going to be with Saya Fainga. So if you're well into your rugby, you'll know Sire was you know, a hooker for both the Queensland Reds, the ACT Brumbies, and the Wallabies. He's currently playing in the UK for the London Irish, but he's got plenty of great stories. I was really pleased to get him on, and here's a quick preview of the chat with Sire. So going up to Queensland and, and literally not having played uh, one single game, not starting, sorry, one single game, literally coming off the bench um, every game for the whole 13 games still coming last I um, it was a big shock to the body you know I, I'd gone up there um, with you know them giving me or selling me the world um, saying that yeah you're going to be our number one hooker I, I just assumed it was going to happen because it happened at, you know in Canberra I worked hard um, but yeah I just I got complacent and I had a one of the biggest things I've learned you know from a guy called Sean Harden from Queensland. Yep. He was he was the old guy at the time. He, he was um, you know like 35 or something, um, 34 even. Um, you know had been around the traps. Who, he'd known about the losing culture um, and was a was a tough guy, but trained super hard. wasn't the best athlete, wasn't the best player, but worked super hard. And I, I like to my like to his credit like. He was probably he was probably the player that made, made me become probably the best player that I, I've been because literally I thought you know if this bloke here can be in the gym longer than everyone else and why can't I be in the gym longer than everyone else? So please to make sure that you don't miss the episode, you can subscribe for free via iTunes, Overcast, or Stitcher. And if you've got access to iTunes, please leave me a five star review. If you haven't got access to either of those, you can find it all online www.talkingwithtk.com. If you're right into your rugby, 
you'll have plenty of episodes. We've had the likes of Matt Samoa, Nathan Charles, Clyde Rathbone, Nathan Sharp, David Campisi, plenty, the list goes on, plenty of the NRL boys as well. Going into the seasons now, we definitely be adding a lot more of the NRL boys, the rugby boys, and the AFL boys to come. And, you know, if you've got any guest requests, please send them through at Tristan at TalkingWithTK.com. All right, guys, let's get back to the show. Talk about the honour. You know, you had the honour of actually captaincy your country yeah. in the World Cup against Uruguay. How did you get the call up? The checks knock on your door. Was it a phone call? How did that all come about? No, it's maybe with a little bit as even with check. It's I don't think it's maybe this plan, but it doesn't seem to be. Yeah. Um, we're just in the uh, so we we knew, we had a squad of thirty, so we had two games within five days mm. in the start of the World Cup. So he named the team for Fiji and the team for Uruguay. We basically knew who was in each before the, the team started. Uh, without a captain name for Uruguay, Steve was obviously captain of the Fiji game, and then he just wandered up to me after. He, and said, oh, mate, would you like to captain the team? And I was like, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> no, mate. No, I don't want to do it. <laughs> right. No, thank you. Appreciate it. But no. Um, and I shook his hand and just walked off. And that was it. I, I, I sort of, I had to pinch myself to think that it happened. I almost wanted to go up and say, you know, like, is, is that is what you just said? Yeah. <laughs> and then, and then it's just, there's no mention of it again. We went to training and came back. No mention, whatever. Yeah. Uh, and then... Yeah, it was, it was so surreal. Um, and but then, yeah, like then leading that team out, it's yeah, it's a pretty it's a pretty amazing honour that one. Mm-hmm. Um, and more in the sense that, yeah, I think I was the eighty fifth captain. So out of nine hundred Wallabies, there's only been eighty five people to do it. And it is, it's been a couple more now. But that's you know, like you're starting to thin things out when it gets to that and, and it's a tremendous honour. I think I was probably most nervous about all of it was not buggering up the pre-match speech. <laughs> <laughs> like, I, I, I doubt we are going to lose to Uruguay. But, but who, who were... You don't want to lose to Uruguay, yeah. like, you don't want to be the first team to get no, top but, line, you know. um, but you just want to, you want to, you want to give everything, you want to make everything your best because... I knew it was probably only every one, so you made the most of it. Yeah. We'll finish off with the Rugby World Cup final. So obviously you guys go down to New Zealand. There was different stages where they went out to a lead early on and you guys pulled it back. But you started from the bench that day. You came yeah. on early though, didn't you? Yeah, so Kano did his ACL. Yeah. Probably after about 15 minutes. Um, so I played a lot more of the game than I thought I would. Um, but yeah, well, what an event. Yeah, yeah good. Who would have saw it? Had you played at Twickenham before that? Yeah, yeah, a number of times. But it's it's just a, such a special ground. And in the period I'd been away, I'd, I'd, it was the first time I'd seen it as a spectator. And to get the ability of um, at Twickenham, like you can be out in there in the car park or whatever, having a beer five minutes before you need to be a seat, and then five minutes after the game, you're back having a beer. Like, it's great. What a brilliant stadium. Like, the continuity like of day and your experience is amazing, you yeah. know? So. I'd seen it from the flip side as well, and knowing obviously you prefer to be there and having a run. Um, and we had such good success at Twickenham, like out of the World Cup, we played five games straight there. Yeah. And and I 100 percent thought we'd win that game. I still did. When when we when we called back and we got within seven points, we were on. Like I 100 percent thought we'd win it. Just and felt that momentum. We had the momentum, and yeah, we. We'd beaten the All Blacks that year, and 
I just felt like we had it. I felt like 100% we had it, and oh, what a great feeling. What was the talk like between the players on the on the field? Good, yeah, really positive. Really, I mean, we scored a, I think we scored a driving wall try, and and yeah, I just remember going back, and everyone was like, "Yeah, we're coming, we're coming here, and we're going to get it." And like we worked, we worked for three months on the belief the whole time that we we were good enough to win that World Cup. We didn't, we just didn't get it. Yeah, you know, like um, so be it. But then. There was a change in shifts and a change in momentum when Dan Carter snapped that drop goal, which was yeah. an unbelievable drop goal. And then, and then it was just changed momentum. It shifted, and then they ran away, and, and Barrett scored that last try to open up. Yeah, when it was all said and done, what was the dressing room like after the game? Oh, pretty rubbish because, yeah, as you said, we worked so hard on the belief that we we win it, and we did a lot of visualization. Um, we've done sort of some personal diaries about okay. like journey diaries into it there's a lot of gearing and when you don't get it you don't get it you know there's it's not like that it's a treasured medal that sort of runners up medal in a world cup but it's not the winner's medal yeah, you know exactly and it's right. so for that for that period of time and something I really I'm not down about it now but like I mean not down about having that medal it's just a measure of success but it's not the it's not the one in that moment that you wanted, and so it was it was pretty down, and it took a it took a while for everyone to cheer up. But also when you when you're probably a couple of days out, maybe more, maybe a couple of years out, you you think what a great journey was, and and we we weren't too far away from getting it done. Yeah, well, the career of Dean Mum, you got to be a, a Wallabies captain, you got to go to a World Cup final. It's a, it's a pretty good career. If you asked me, we got to go to the UK, mate. So you should be very proud of what you you've achieved. Yeah, I am. I think it. Yeah, no, I am. It's, it was a good career, much more than I ever thought. So uh, I'll take it. Yeah, for sure. Well, Dean, I really appreciate you joining me today. Before I let you go, I want everyone to follow Dean. He's on Twitter and Instagram at Dean Mum. Probably more importantly, for his walk coming up in April. I think the February two dinner is probably a little bit too quick, but. You can always go get some donations. He's got a Just Giving page, which I'll have on the show notes. But I'll give out the address now. It's www.justgiving.com slash fundraising slash Dean slash mum. And like I said, I'll have all that on our show notes and I'll also have that on the episode guide. So, guys, get behind Dean. It's a very fitting cause. And, yeah, definitely show him some support because it's going to – it's a – It's a great thing that he's doing, and it's going to raise a lot of awareness for a very worthy cause. Dean, thanks for joining me, man. Thanks, Tristan. Really a pleasure, and uh, let's do it again sometime, man. Sounds good. Awesome. So, guys, that was Dean Mum. As we did mention in the episode, you know, this is a personal story for Dean, and he has got that enormous challenge in April of walking the North Pole. Please get right behind him. All the details are going to be in the show notes or www.justgiving.com backslash, no, sorry, forward slash fundraising, forward slash Dean dash mum. That's www.justgiving.com forward slash fundraising, forward slash Dean dash mum. Please get right behind Dean. It is a special cause and something that, you know, if they can find out what is happening here in terms of research or even to bring some awareness to the issue, I think that's a worthy cause. All right, guys, we've got plenty coming up in the coming weeks. Like I mentioned, we've got Saifinga on next. We've recorded with the likes of Tim Zhu, 
who is the younger, who is the son of the legend Costa Zoo. He's seven and zero in the professional ranks as a boxer now. He's really making his way through the ranks, and he's a great boxer and a great guy. Also coming up, we've got Dorian Yates, six times Mr. Olympia. We've got West Tigers front rower Tim Grants. I've recorded with former New Zealand Warriors captain Monty Beatham. There's a whole heap of guys coming on, and they're being lined up, so then you guys can continue to enjoy the episodes. If you're first time here, you can subscribe for free via iTunes, Overcast, or Stitcher. Find it all online at www.talkingwithtk.com. If you're a regular listener, there's two things you can hopefully do for me. One, if you've got access to iTunes, please leave me a review. It just helps me get seen by more people and I can just reach more people. And two, if you think one of your family or friends will like the show, please tell them about it and maybe tag me on a post on social media. Guys, I really appreciate you joining me again for this show. This show is not about me, but it's about my guests. So please, like I said, support guys like Dean. Very worthy cause. And even get in touch with Dean on his social media and let him know that you have heard the episode and you know what he's doing is quite remarkable. All right, guys. Really looking forward to chatting to you next week. Until then, I'm Tristan Cannell, and this was Talking with TK.